Jag vet inte hur många sällskaper jag har mött som sliter med att få in professionella investorer till trots för att produkten egentligen är ganska bra och sällskapet visar växt och goda tal. Vi ser en ting de proffsiga investorerna på utsikter i tillägg att du bygger ett bra sällskap självklart är hur du hanterar dina aktionärer eller ditt så kallade cap table som det heter på startupsk. Ett ödelagt cap table sätter rätt och slett en stopper för sällskapsutveckling. Unlisted.ai gör det möjligt för sällskaper att hantera aktie- och optionsprogrammer, aktieägarboken, cap table och det mesta av rättigheter in mot aktierna i sällskapet på ett sted. Pröv Unlisted.ai sin gratisversion idag. Hi and welcome to Shifters Podcast. Today we have Brittany Bingham as our guest. She's leading the marketing and growth strategy at RaceMe. Before that, she was several years at SurveyMonkey, most recently as the senior director of growth marketing. And today we will talk about growth. Welcome, Brittany. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for uh, ha- having us <laughs> in this conversation. And um, uh, could you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, yep. Um, so you obviously shared just a bit, but um, currently VP of Marketing and Growth at RaiseMe, which is an education technology startup here in San Francisco in California. Um, and we largely focus on giving students access to scholarships earlier on in high school so that they have more confidence and understanding of how much college will cost them. Um, and so from a business perspective, it really is marketplace dynamics in that we have universities in the United States on one side of the marketplace and students on the other side. And we're working to connect those so students can earn micro scholarships earlier on. Um, And as you mentioned, prior to this, I've been here for about, I guess, a year and three quarters now, sometimes feels longer, Um, was at uh, SurveyMonkey for several years where I led growth marketing. Um, And that really uh, was comprised of everything that had to do with acquisition, conversion, engagement, and retention across all of our business units, which was um, more than just that freemium model that most people know. It actually was uh, a couple sales-assisted models as well as marketplace models and freemium models. But we can chat through all that a bit later. Um, So when... Yeah, when you think about kind of the combination, it's everything from marketplace dynamics, freemium, viral loops, and and multi-product environments. So yeah, uh, so um, how do you define growth, and why do you think that is important? Yeah, um, great question and super super broad. But um, I think in in a startup or really any company, the principle of growth is really um, oriented around maximizing a uh, the distribution of a product and marketing time or other resources towards a North Star metric in a sustainable way. Um, So really trying to optimize that primary metric that's so critical to the company um, and how you apply your resources, how you think about growing that metric and how you think about creating a sustainable and defensible um, kind of model around that metric. Um, And more than just the process of the testing and that optimization and learning how to improve that metric, I think more than that, it's really that framework and the school of thought of how you go about doing that or how you achieve those optimizations. Um, so that conter- continuous learning and kind of application of it. So, um, and I think, yeah, sorry, oh, go sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just mm. going to say, I think it, it manifests very differently in every organization. Um, and so 
the business model and the stage and will dictate different makeup of teams or their core competencies. But uh, yeah, it'll vary for sure. Yeah. So, so how should you, when should you start to think, think about growth? Is that, should you start thinking about growth really early on or should, should you wait until you have some type of product to launch? I think you should always be thinking about growth. Um, obviously, there's a core value prop that you have to develop with your product to establish any sort of viability in the market. But ultimately, the earlier that you can establish this growth mindset towards optimizing and growing your business in a sustainable way, the better. Um, because it's not necessarily, uh, products don't necessarily fail because of being a good or a bad product. It's often the distribution that causes failure. So um, poor distribution and not necessarily that the product itself can often dictate a business's success. So I think the earlier, the better. So, okay, so that's interesting. So you think that it's more of a distribution problem than the product problem that if a product well, fails or... Well, you can have a, a bad product and it will not succeed, even if your distribution is solid. But a good product can still fail if distribution is not is not effective or, or strong. Yeah. So when you talk about distribution, what do you mean? Yeah, it's the overall adoption of the product and how you think about continued and sustainable adoption and how defensible that is. So not only how you go about acquiring your customers, but also um, how effectively do you convert them, engage them and retain them and maintain those loops that really are the consistent driver of the business's growth. Yeah, interesting. Uh, and the growth loop uh, uh, concept is also interesting. Could you explain what that is? Yeah, I think most people have um, traditionally thought of businesses as funnels, which is essentially put customers in at the top and you get a certain amount of output at the bottom, whether that be uh, conversion of those customers um, or net LTV of them, so on and so forth. Um, but if you think about loops, it's how do you invest and amplify and have compounding growth based on these kind of opportunities for um, conversion and engagement of your existing customers. And so loops can be everything from viral loops. So think like um, with SurveyMonkey, a survey creator creates a survey and then they end up having survey takers that could potentially become survey creators. And so that continues to kind of um, amplify itself. But you can also have like content loops, paid marketing loops, B2B content loops, um, sales. Kind of, There's so many different types uh, that can help drive growth in your business. So would you say you, you live in San Francisco? So, uh, so it's interesting for us in Norway to, to, to understand what you're talking about over there right now. So, so would you say that uh, most people have gone from thinking uh, of a, um, uh, thinking of a funnel in, uh, and to going to thinking more of a loop is that is that correct or 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 is, is are both concepts relevant? I think both are are definitely relevant, and um, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Ideally, what you do is you convert what is currently a funnel into a loop, uh, so that you can continue to. Um, drive growth in a more sustainable way. And so when you think about it, it's optimizing that conversion, that acquisition, that retention, all of those monetization levers. Um, but then how do you continue to have that feed into itself versus just be a linear funnel that goes top down? Okay. Would you say that uh, Raise Me has a growth loop? Um, yeah, so we, we do. Um, there are a couple areas where I'd like to continue to optimize it, but uh, Raise Me has, uh, I'll give an example of one. On the student side, we have an incentivized referral loop. So 
um, students can join on Raise Me, and when they refer in other students, they'll earn micro scholarships, and the student that joins will earn micro scholarships for that referral or for bringing that student on. And what that does is it has the benefits of not only driving incremental student growth, uh, but also it creates more of a um, a mentality of like shared. Uh, benefit in the space of scholarships because there's there's this perception that scholarships are limited. And so by offering students micro scholarships, both themselves and to the student that joins, you're helping kind of bring down that barrier, that perception that scholarships are limited and that by inviting other students, you're reducing your total scholarships. It's a mutually beneficial kind of approach to driving growth. And so there's two benefits. It's not only uh, driving incremental growth in the student capacity, but also uh, helping increase the overall um, kind of understanding that scholarships are not entirely limited. So is would you say that a referral program, by definition, is a growth loop? It, yes, it can absolutely be one of the types of growth loops. Okay. Um, uh, so let's go back to, to growth and growth strategy. <laughs> uh, and uh, how do you actually develop a growth strategy? Yeah. Um, also, a, a loaded question, but um, I think the first thing you have to do is identify your business model opportunity. So um, where do you have any sort of opportunities to optimize your business model and optimize those loops that we were just chatting about, whether it be primarily focused in the area of acquisition or retention engagement or monetization? Um, and then go about modeling out the potential impact of those growth levers. So what is the impact? What is your confidence that you can drive a change in that? And what is the relative effort that it would take to actually implement that change? Um, and then on top of that, go about identifying and starting to deeply measure the metrics that matter. And I say the metrics that matter because oftentimes there's a lot of additional metrics that aren't necessarily the drivers or the key metrics of success. They might ladder up to it, but they aren't the metric of success. So be really, really diligent about narrowing to those metrics that are truly most impactful for your business and that matter. And then go about creating an accountable team for these metrics. So uh, how do you create either a cross-functional team of engineers, marketers, product managers, analysts, designers, and sometimes more? Um, and it, that makeup of that team or the distribution of the accountability depends on what types of growth lever it is. So um, depending on the tactic or the strategy, you'll have a different makeup of that team. Um, so I think that's like the overall um, kind of approach. And once you have that growth model and that established team and the metrics, research, test and iterate on top of that. Yeah. Um, what have you learned working with growth that has surprised you? Um, I'm always surprised. And oftentimes you you learn more from tests that have failed than tests that have won. Um, but I think generally speaking, by principle, um, I think one, I think uh, how grossly underestimated the value of retention and your existing customer is from a growth mindset and a growth mentality. So um, a lot of companies will start their initial uh, kind of growth testing frameworks around thinking about just new customer acquisition and some businesses that is absolutely the right approach. But in most cases, there's this massive opportunity in driving more value out of your existing customers, whether it be converting them at a higher rate, um, retaining them for a longer period of time or more deeply engaging them to drive 
more of a viral or another type of loop off of them. Um, and so I think the first thing that I've really learned is that, uh, and surprised me is that not enough people necessarily focus on, focus on that. Um, and I think another thing that's really surprised me is, um, how drivers of growth can be largely misunderstood. So a lot of times we make assumptions about what is actually driving growth in a company, but until we unpack those metrics and and start to understand exactly what the key drivers of those success are, not correlative kind of metrics that are attached to it, but causal metrics, um, you know, really digging deep to try to understand what those specific metrics are. So you would need a really brilliant uh, data scientist. <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't all have those. I think there's a lot that you can do self-serve as well. Um, and really, growth for me is um, is something that's a deep quantitative mindset that needs to be shared across any of those different functions that I mentioned before. It's not accountability simply in a data analyst. Sometimes you need them to do a lot more of that robust data modeling that we can't all do despite wanting to, um, but really establishing that sense of kind of the quantitative focus or the understanding of the metrics across everyone that's accountable for it can really pay dividends as well. So when, when it's so quantitative, quantitative uh, do you actually need to be creative? I think they go hand in hand, absolutely, because the data will tell you what is happening, but it doesn't necessarily tell you why it's happening. And so, so much of the ability of having, uh, being a really good growth practitioner is creating hypotheses and recommendations of how we go about shifting those metrics. And that oftentimes it takes a lot of creativity. And so it's an understanding of your users. It's a uh, deep understanding of the metrics. And then it's a sense of creativity on top of that to be able to understand uh, what experiments you should be testing, um, how you go about solving the problems that you've identified with the data, and what could be most impactful for potentially shifting those numbers. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, since you uh, <laughs> um, uh, you gave me an idea to talk about uh, B2B versus B2C growth. Uh, so I actually asked Sean Ellis this question, you know, how do you work with growth in B2B? And he didn't have a, like a super, super, super good answer. But do you have a good answer to that? How do you work with growth in B2B? It's definitely more challenging. And um, the reason why it's so challenging is because you're working with a much smaller sample size typically um, because you have fewer customers with larger transactions. And also the period or the timeline to impact is also much slower. So sales cycles, as you know, can vary substantially from company to company. And so as these sales cycles are longer, it's very difficult to start to call results of tests or to think about, um, were you able to shift that? Um, and statistical significance is just, you know, out the window in many of those cases. Um, so I gave you why it's hard. Um, many of the ways that I think about working with, um, growth testing in the B2B space is much more on shorter term and higher volume conversion events, what I tend to refer as as micro conversions. And so those can be leading indications of potentially successful outcomes down the road. Um, so are they qualifying from a lead into an MQL or getting accepted from our sales team at a higher rate? Are we seeing a higher conversion rate on a web page of visits to lead form submissions? Um, are we able to get the same qualification rate um, 
explore faster velocity in the funnel, which you can track over time. And so taking some of those metrics that aren't necessarily just simply um, total revenue and cost per close one, but focusing more on the smaller and shorter term events that are able to be tested more in isolation to drive more of a potential large outcome in the total closed one volume of accounts. So anyway, the um, the core is uh, data, it's measurement, and it's uh, and it's um, uh, testing. And you know, no, no matter whether you're into B two B or B two C, right? That yep, has, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the principle stays the same across them. It's just uh, how quickly you can get to the results or alternatively, how substantial maybe some of these metrics that you're looking at are will vary definitely pretty substantially between those two. Okay, interesting. Um, um, what do you see that many companies do wrong concerning growth? <laughs> um, also a great question. Uh, I think... Sometimes it's how it actually manifests in the organization. Um, so I've seen some companies, which we've all made these mistakes, um, put the accountability on either a single person or alternatively, they don't evolve their approach to growth over time. Um, and so as a company becomes more mature, you have to also adjust the way that you think about uh, building growth into the company's kind of DNA or culture or how you're implementing it in an organization. Um, and so by putting the accountability on a single person versus creating a mindset across the company, they uh, it, it's often very difficult to get that to scale in an organization. Um, the other thing that I think is interesting um, is that sometimes growth has an artificial delineation of accountability by function. So marketing is just responsible for acquisition or product is just responsible for conversion. Um, and what you're doing in those cases is you're not necessarily thinking holistically about the customer's life cycle. And so marketing may be responsible for getting them back to the front door, but we need to make sure that the experience of the user, once they do get back to your property, is really consistent all the way through, which requires product as well. And so making sure that you're thinking more holistically about kind of these cross-functional teams that are responsible for growth versus giving a single metric to a whole function and saying, you in isolation go and tackle this. But aren't these uh, this, um, cross-functional teams part of uh, some sort of unit, so which is responsible and accountable? And yep. and in and in the end, there's one person running that unit, so who should be responsible or accountable? Or did yep. I understand so you wrong? Can, uh, so I think um, the point around a growth person is the idea of um, you have an entire organization, and then you have a growth product manager, and that growth product manager is the only person that thinks about growth. You ha should have it a much more distributed uh, function throughout the organization, and that. It should also be the frameworks and the mindset that you take to testing and iterating on the idea of growth and optimization of your metrics in an organization. You'll always have um, someone who's the lead in any of those tiger teams or accountable pods. You'll have a person who's at the charge for any of those metrics. Um, but my, my point is more that you shouldn't have a single person be the person who's growth in the company. Um, and also that, uh, from the perspective of functions, the, you should be thinking about um, the metric versus the function. So 
marketing is not just responsible for acquisition. There might be a uh, tiger team that's responsible that is cross-functional in nature. Does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. Um, yeah. So, um, uh, someone calls it growth hacking. Well, Sean Ellis calls it growth hacking. Uh, other people call it growth. Uh, you call it uh, uh, your uh, your title was growth marketing, but. Um, uh anyway how we call it um is is growth only for startups or could also bigger corporations be better at working with growth or are they, or have they grown to their maximum size um i i definitely don't think it's just for for startups um and to your point i know a lot of people call it hacking as well but i i definitely think of it as um more of a sustainable and um, more repeatable approach to creating a business model that grows. Um, so I don't necessarily always think of it as hacking either. Um, and a lot of larger companies tend to lose focus on this, but some do it really well. And um, I think you should continue to have uh, an element of growth and continue to focus on growth agnostic of the company size, um, what you'll see is that a change in how it actually manifests in the organization. So um, the shape of the team or teams that's uh, working on it, the degree of impact that they can have. So they may run more isolated tests versus large scale product tests the remit of those testing or the tools that they use, but absolutely think it's something that companies and organizations of all sizes should continue to lean into and, and just how it takes form is what will vary in those scenarios. But would it be possible for a large silo-based company to start implementing growth as a discipline? It, it's difficult for sure. It's hard to um, uh, roll back on that if you haven't established it early on, but I think there are some ways in which you can do it. So um, start by establishing the goal, whether it be a larger scale goal or a smaller scale goal for that team or for the responsible parties, um, and then identify the, the levers that are required for it. Um, so what will it take to actually go about achieving that goal that you've set out? And then you can start to uh, create the team that has distributed accountability. So the cross-functional team and and particularly in larger organizations, I think um, a hybrid model of having a centralized responsibility for growth and decentralized ability to actually test is typically the most effective. So um, allowing people from all throughout the organization to be conduct tests is something that um, tends to be more effective than trying to centralize it in uh, large scale organizations. But again, this varies in case to case. Um, but the most important thing in, in many of these large organizations that I think is often overlooked is um, actually changing the way that you think about defining success for those team members. So allocating a portion of their time towards growth testing and incentivizing the right output of that testing and growth, even if it's failed tests making sure that you're incentivizing that they are spending time thinking about um, testing and iteration to help move those metrics. Because oftentimes what you find is when you try to establish growth in some of these larger organizations, um, the frameworks and the uh, tools are put in place, but the time given to these people is not necessarily, it's not given to them and their uh, metrics of success are not shifted. And so it's very hard to reprioritize time towards it. Okay. Do you ever dream about running a big, uh, <laughs> big company? <laughs> and you know, growth? 
um, some, sometimes I do. And sometimes I don't, I really enjoy the, the stage that we're at as well. We're about 70 people right now and growing. Um, but it, it was fun that survey monkey was about 800 or plus people or so when I, when I left and that was a really fun size as well. So, um, who knows? You never know. It's hard to predict. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you work a lot with uh, startups, uh, uh, as you told me. Um, uh, what do you think? Are startups generally good at growth or do they have much to learn? Uh, you know, it varies for sure from company to company. But really, um, I think generally speaking, most startups have a high growth mentality. Um, it's uh, it's. It depends on the stage of them and the adoption and how they went about getting their early adoption. But you tend to see a pretty heavy growth mindset in anyone that's willing to to jump into a startup that's in a high growth phase. Yeah. Um, um, what are your best uh, tips to companies that want to see growth? Um, this is a, a loaded question. Uh, so I think there's kind of three that I'd boil it down to. Um, the first one, other than just like invest in it and make it core to your company is, um, knowing your metrics and really understanding which metrics matter and also know your counter metrics. So what are the metrics that are, um, early indications of success or impact the kind of larger level one metrics or those North star metrics that I was mentioning before, um, and invest in your data early. So data infrastructure, access to your data, understanding of your data, so on, um, so that's definitely a big one. The second one, which we talked about right from the beginning, I'd say is um, identify and invest in fueling loops and setting up your cross-functional teams to help drive those loops. Um, so identify how you can amplify and have compounding growth based on bringing in a set of new customers or more deeply engaging your existing customers. Sorry, sorry, I need to, uh, to interrupt you because a question to that. Is it possible to, can you identify loops or do you have, do you have to design the loops? You can absolutely identify them. I think people have stumbled onto some loops that they didn't necessarily know were um, going to be the primary drivers of their success. Um, and you can continue to optimize those too. And so you can work to open up new loops in your business, or you can optimize ones that just naturally occurred in the business. But you can also design them, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So is that the main way to actually to actually make a loop? Is it to design one? Um, you know, typically the uh, the core business or the core value prop of the product itself should ideally be created with a some sort of loop model in mind. That is not always the case. And so in those cases, you often should think about designing one that's additive to the business, but that's much more difficult. If you can establish a business or a product that is founded on a loop that is uh, core and fundamental to the business or the product itself, you're going to have a much larger chance to capitalize on that early on. And so I think the survey monkey model, um, it was really built into it that you had this really beautiful kind of casual contact viral loop of survey creators and survey takers. Uh, we've opened up loops on top of that from an organizational virality um, conversion into other products. But really that core loop, it was fundamental to the initial growth of the business. Yeah, sorry, I interrupted you after your second tip. What's your third tip? 
Yeah, um, no problem. And actually, uh, quite fitting. Um, I'd say learn from others. There's so many practitioners out there that are doing this that um, their business model might not look exactly the same, but when you start to unpack it, there's tests that have been um, done. There's business model learnings. There's uh, landmines that have been stepped on that you can learn from. And so um, try to capture as much knowledge from other people because there's a lot of um, great learnings out there. But not necessarily uh, think that uh, what works for others will work for you, right? No, not at all. And that's actually one of the things that um, I think you you learn quickly is uh, the exact same test can have different outputs with minor changes. And so don't assume that anything will be exactly like what other companies have observed, but take as much of the learnings as you can and uh, kind of capitalize on those. Yeah. And lastly, I wanted to dwell into the marketplace because you work in a two-sided marketplace with uh, RaiseMe. And how do you work with growth in a, in a two-sided marketplace? Is that different from just an ordinary SaaS product? Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. So um, it's uh, pretty complex in nature. And I think our, the one here at RaiseMe is even more complex for, for some reasons. Um, so if you think of most marketplaces, um, you'll typically have a supply side and a demand side. And if you grow those concurrently within any sort of kind of matching constraints, meaning are the people that you're getting on the supply side matching with the people or the customers that you're getting on the demand side? Um, you can kind of grow those concurrently. If you think about ours here at RaiseMe, um, you have students and all of the primary players on one side of the marketplace, and you have universities on the other side of the marketplace. And so a traditional B2B model on the university side and much more of a B2C high growth model on the student side. Um, in order to optimize for that, we need to be really diligent about the uh, students that we're bringing on board and making sure that they're matching to universities. And unfortunately, it's not just geographic pref preference that really drives students' interest in colleges, a, meaning um, someone sitting in California might not say, I'm just going to go to the school that's closest to me. But there's all sorts of other uh, attributes that really factor into that. What are their academic interests? What are their extracurricular interests? Um, what is their overall performance that they have in school? And um, what, is, what do they want to focus on when they do go to university? Um, and so all of these factors we have to take into account when we're thinking about driving a healthy marketplace, meaning we're bringing on students that um, can find and earn scholarships towards schools that they're interested in. And schools are also uh, matching and connecting with students that will actually want to attend their university, too. Um, and so it becomes uh, pretty complex in working to optimize that. And uh, you have to be very diligent about kind of. Um, driving a sales cycle that's focused in areas where you're also investing in from a student growth, both from an interest and a geographic standpoint. Yeah. So, so, so do you create like segments of, of students with, with yeah, different so attributes? We, yep. So we uh, have layered on essentially uh, created a, um, a quantitative map that looks at what we call the matriculation patterns of students. So students in X state or X region have a high likelihood to go outside of state versus in state and tend to have this type of interest. And then we uh, have created an account-based marketing strategy on the university side. And by combining those two and running them concurrently, 
then we optimize for growth within those while still trying to uh, make sure that we're uh, optimizing for conversion on both sides of it in areas that will match or have a high overlap rate. Yeah, this is uh, this is really complex. Uh, for example, compared to Uber, uh, it's uh, it's really complex because with, with Uber you really want to just go from A to B, right? Yeah, yeah, and I by no means um, do I think Uber has easy problems to solve either. They have a huge amount as far as uh, surge and events and complexity of uh, uh, how long people are riding <laughs> yes. and people driving home. That's true, uh, but. There is definitely, I think, an an element of geographic concentricity. So if they just wanted to open up in a small market, they might have a slightly um, more simple, I shouldn't even say that, they're going to come back to me. Uh, (laughs) It might be more geographically concentric than, say, um, something like matriculation patterns of students. But they have very interesting problems to solve there, too. Okay, so it wasn't easy to build Uber. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I I was... (laughs) I can't imagine. I wasn't involved, but I can't imagine that it was so easy. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, um, uh, last question. So, what do you believe to be the truth, but something that most others will disagree with you on? Yeah. You know, I don't know if um, everyone would disagree, but I think I, uh, I think not all metrics are created equal, and that in some cases, the metrics that people look at on an ongoing basis should be strongly questioned or should be dug into. Um, so things like uh, baseline that people assume a certain conversion rate or a certain adoption rate is baseline, um, what you'll see is that often could potentially degrade over time or that might shift based on the types of sources that you're getting users from or metrics that are correlative to growth versus causal to growth um, or counter metrics aren't set. And so I think um, maybe my my groundbreaking kind of comment here that I believe is truth is that you should really um, question some of the metrics that you look at and make sure you get really close with those that, that matter. Yeah, that's a great insight. Um, thank you very much, Brittany. Uh, this has been very, very interesting. And um, we will see you here in Oslo for uh, the SHIFT conference. And uh, we're really looking forward to that. But uh, what can we expect to see when you come? Um, well, hopefully a highly informative, but also fast moving discussion um, that gives you frameworks, but also tangible tactics. Um, and hopefully you get some good takeaways that you can go and apply in an organization. Yeah. Thank you very much, Brittany. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was great chatting. <laughs>